0: Today's Power Talk is titled "Tying the West Together." It's a continuation of our talk with Brian Bertacci, General Manager of Elmhurst Mutual Power and Light. We discuss how supply chain issues and inflation will change how we get and use energy. We discuss tying the West together through energy imbalance markets, transferring energy between states, and the growth of bulk electricity markets. Power Talk is a series of conversations about the changing electric grid, how you can leverage new technologies to increase your reliability and lower your bills and how you can safeguard yourself. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Power Talk. My name is Nate Woods, and I'm coming to this with about 15 years of cat dealer marketing experience. Beside me, as always, is Greg Lambert, who's coming at this with uh, over 30 years of utility power experience. And on my other side is Brian Bertacci, who is coming at this with, again, over 30 years of utility power experience. And Brian, over the break, you were talking about uh, supply chain, and specifically how that relates to utility power. Uh, would you like to dig into that a little bit for us? Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a great topic. I think the folks that are listening in
1: on this need to be aware of it. It is amazing where this has gone over the last year, I, and put it in perspective, I had one developer that wanted to come in with literally 1.5 MVA load at a warehouse he's trying to develop, and there's many more like this, but I'm just using this as an example. You know, it was last summer, we gave him a quote for price and delivery for that transformer, which was just like six months. And he came back just about a month ago and wanted to continue on his project because now he's worked on this project and he's got a buyer and, you know, all that. And I had to unfortunately tell him over the phone that we can't get that transformer. We're being told in some cases, 240 weeks, we're being told two years. And and with an unknown price, right? So you're signing up for a slot that might get delivered two years from now with an unknown price, and and I give that message back to him, and he's a very unhappy, you know, developer, and he's you know trying to develop his his project. But even for us as utility, it's amazing how much this has changed over the last year here with COVID, because we used to, uh, as a good example with Elmhurst, we're small. So we had a sm- you know five hundred thousand dollars worth of inventory of transformers and
0: conduit. How right? much is a transformer? So you say five hundred thousand dollars. Is that? Uh,
1: it depends, and that price is like doubled and tripled. So stuff that normally costs thirty thousand dollars is now ninety thousand or hundred thousand dollars for that transformer. It's literally tripled, and the lead time has gone way out. But it, it applies not only to that; it applies to all the bits and pieces, right? Like. I talked to one of our vendors the other day. We need to buy, you know, you need to buy certain, you know, pieces of equipment like vaults. Vaults is a perfect example. I called the vault manufacturer and said, hey, you haven't responded to our quote. You know, we we asked for a quote on, he goes, I've got 2,000 orders in front of you and I can't deliver half of them for the next five years, so I'm just not responding anymore to those quotes. What do we do for vaults? So now we're scrambling trying to figure out where do we potentially go for vaults? And there's also speculators out there in the supply chain issue that's going on. People are buying stuff and trying to make money. But the old days, and I say the old days, is six months, a year ago, my sister- The good old days. Yeah, the good old days. (laughs) Good old days. Other GMs like myself, I could call up over there and we had handshakes and we would carry a certain amount of inventory, but a transformer would fail. If we didn't have it, either we'd go to the manufacturer and do it on emergency, but most often we would just borrow it from another utility we emergency order the transformer, it would get done in three months, and we give it back to the party that they a new one to the party that we borrowed it from to fix a problem. That's all gone. So all the handshakes are gone. Everybody's holding their own inventory because if you lose a transformer and you don't have it, you got a customer that's out. How do you fix that without the transformer? You can't. So and even as a small group, there's another issue. We move from about $500,000 of uh, inventory cost to about $1.5 million is where we're at. For, so, And we're a co-op, not-for-profit, so you're taking our customers' money and having to go invest that in transformers so we have them just because you don't want somebody to be out of power for a year and a half because we don't have a transformer. So we've been very careful. We've even gone out. To tell you the extremes we're going to, we're going out into the field and we're looking at a lot of transformers and their actual use because they were going back to customers. If, if a customer has a 1.5 MVA and he's only using you know, 600, we can replace that with a 750 and move that 1.5 MVA into a spare part. But imagine all the cluster clacking we're doing to try and make that happen. If we're just one utility. Everybody's doing this with supply chain.
2: Well, and I think I think you, you, I mean, we've talked over the past year or so. I think you saw some of this coming and you've been very, very proactive, and you still have tremendous challenges in front of you. The utilities that didn't have the foresight or have been just reactive are really in a world to hurt, aren't
1: they? Yeah, and you wonder, and that's back to the discussion we've had in some of the other sessions where all the remaining infrastructure is being used up, Mm -hmm. and so the demand on transformers alone, forget wire and poles and cable and all the bits and pieces, that demand on transformers is super accelerating in a market where availability is going down and down, but the but the, the you know supply request, the demand is going up and up and up, and the supply is going down and down and down and down.
0: So, what, and, what's going on with the the supply of transformers? Are they are they manufactured in Russia? Like, why why aren't we building enough of them right now? We being society as well. A and it's, I'm, I've said transformers, it's everything. I mean, you, you just go down the list
1: of just the little connectors you need to do certain things on the line, three phase reclosure. All those parts are getting harder and harder to get because of the same, look, look at the issue trying to go buy an F-150 pickup right now. Mm. It's the same issue hitting everything. Look, transformer, you got copper or aluminum and you got manufacturing and emissions and manufacturing, which are regulated and on and on and on. It's just getting more and more difficult with the demand going up, so. And, and I'm afraid it's gonna to start to get back to we're kind of hitting that edge of, the, of where we go off the cliff, right? And without any plan, we are heading off that cliff. And I
0: think that was one of the questions you guys had. what, Where is all this headed? Yeah, so, so our, our wires are only so thick. Um, the, the infrastructure is only physically capable of, of so much load. Uh, the plants can only generate so many megawatts. How close are we to actually hitting that wall, hitting that capacity of what we can generate and what we can serve and what happens when we go over that limit with, with, with technology the way it is today? Well, let, let's and then just say one thing before
1: I leave in. So both Greg and I will tell you, because we've been developers for big chunks, chunks of our careers, look at how long it takes to develop a power plant project, really. It's really a 10-year process. Somebody might say it's five or seven, but you throw in transmission <laughs> and, and all the outreach that's got to go on, the PUC hurdles, you know, the permitting hurdles, you know, getting securing the, the the funding, the you know lending for it, the engineering, and all of that is at risk, which needs a premium to be able to do. So all I'm saying is to answer your question is okay if we're if we're marching along and there's there's this cliff out there. Mm-hmm. How far ahead do you have to plan to not go off the cliff when you get there? You can't you can't come up to the cliff precipice and say oh man we got to do something because you're ten years behind the eight ball. And so that's my concern. And sorry, Greg. You didn't
2: it. Well, you know, and it, it's really regional. It, it's region by region. I, I, I mean, I think there are there are certain people uh, like myself who would argue in uh, in parts of the West, especially in California, uh, we're we're standing at the precipice of the cliff right now. We're looking over it. I mean, here we are. We're in uh, May, and uh, the state is saying publicly that they're seventeen hundred to five thousand megawatts short. So we're in a for, for this about, summer.
1: For this summer, and and what's another good sign of that? And Greg brought this up earlier. Look at what's going on between BPA and the CalISO and the imbalance market. There's another great indicator that there's this huge push. CalISOs they absolutely feel they have to have it. BPA wants to give it to them, but again, that's a sign that they're not doing. Why aren't they doing that on their own? How come they're not solving that problem for California? Why are they reaching all the way up to Washington State right. and impacting the Washington State users? who it's, it's, it's part of Washington State, all these resources. That's just another great indicator that nothing is happening to support the need. They're marching right up to the precipice.
2: Let's, let's dig into this just a little bit because uh, you have a lot of expertise in an area where, where I don't, and certainly we don't have much expertise within Peterson, but you've run trading organizations. You, know, and you really understand the bulk electricity markets and the wholesale markets on the West, especially within WEC, within the Western Electric uh, Interconnection. And, you know, by making this market bigger, uh, what's going to happen? Are people in Oregon and Washington going to do without because California is willing to pay more? <laughs> yeah, it's right on, Greg. I mean, you,
1: know, you hit the root of the problem. We're not, we're, it's back to this, you know, in simple terms, we're increasing the amount of demand for electricity. We need more. But the supply is going down because we're not only are we not adding supply, we're destroying a lot of the supply that exists in in multiple ways. Diablo Canyon is a good example; is a huge supply issue. Look at look at some of the coal prop projects, and and again, I'm not advocating coal. It's back to that planning process where we see the precipice up there, and it's getting closer and closer and closer. And we know to to be able to jump across that precipice, precipice takes ten years of planning, and. It's all going to to answer your question. Is we're driving to that point, which is really unfortunate, and there's really nobody doing anything about it. I I challenge anybody to tell us where who's creating the integrated plan to to solve that problem. Even the CalISO is seems to be stumbling in that. And again, look at them reaching out outside the state to be able to mitigate their own problems.
2: And and what's happening is we've actually um, we've redefined capacity resource adequacy. We, we, we call capacity in this business resource adequacy or RA. Uh, we've actually redefined RA uh, in the context of uh, carbon-free technologies that have the capability of providing some capacity but not, not real RA. And I would argue that, you know, like in, in California, we, we haven't added capacity in 10 years. Yeah, We haven't added any real capacity to the system in 10 years. I don't buy that wind solar and batteries tied together as capacity it's, it's, yeah. and the shortfalls of that are are manifesting itself and coming up right now and uh, we, we, we are uh, kind of uh, running running short on options and even as you know we use distributed resources because they're 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 smaller they're easier to mobilize but uh, to try to backfill and, and band-aid and fill potholes because of policy decisions with smaller resources and those readily available, we're running up against supply chain issues. You know, mm-hmm. Because as we're sitting here in May and, you know, the regulators are saying, well, we're 1,700 megawatts to 5,000 megawatts short, what do you want to do? We have very, very limited options in front of us of, of what we can do. I've been canvassing the, uh, the cat Dior network and I've come up with, you know, quite a few megawatts of power that uh, can be brought to bear for the summer, but these aren't long-term solutions. And when we're looking at new solutions, uh, you know we're we're being affected. Caterpillar, one of the largest manufacturers in the world, uh, we're certainly uh, not immune from the uh, challenges of uh, supply chain uh, supply chain uh, problems right now. Where a lot of the deliveries of our equipment is is out. You know, um, is is two x what it was before the uh, before the pandemic, and, and and costs are increasing. We used to normally quote. You know, I'd give you a year ago, I'd, no problem, i will give you a quote that's firm for 45 days. I mean, now, you know, quotes are good for a couple of days, you know, maybe, maybe a week or two at best, but uh, everything is so volatile out there. So uh, it's, it's all becoming much more complex uh, solving any of these societal issues, uh, especially uh, in, a, in, a, in an industry that is extremely capital intensive, always has been, and where you have such long lead times to, to address problems. Well, we, we have to. We, we have to. I'll, I'll give you the microphone back in a second, here, Nate. But we we have to uh, again to the planning that we've been talking about. We need to plan for the future because we don't have the luxury of reacting to the present.
0: So, I, I want to talk a little bit just about the the scale and scope. So you're saying uh, California is going to be short so many megawatts as summer falls upon us. Um, so what? How bad is summer going to be in California? Like, how, what's, the, what's the effect to an end user? What's the effect to a uh, manufacturing plant? Well, what do people need to plan for right now?
2: Well, well we're seeing a tremendous uh, rush to buy backup generation right now and to secure backup generation for, for critical users. But, you know, it's short. And as, as we're tying the West together through the energy imbalance market, um, you know, if it gets hot just in California, we're, we're probably okay. But if we have situations like we've had the last couple of summers where it's hot in California, it's hot in Oregon, and it's hot in, in Washington, and hot in the desert southwest, uh, what that means is somebody somewhere is going to have to do without. There's just not going to be enough of the commodity where somebody's going to get shut down and have to do without that power. Which I think ties well. And I,
1: I, I heard it,
2: you know,
1: Greg and I have known each other for a long time, but I saw this. Comment. I think it's almost a year ago now, but I always really loved it, and it says just the right thing. We're not educating the public enough about where we're headed here with this precipice. And it's the, how long do you want your power, right? Matter of fours? Yeah. Okay, tell us, Greg, what's the matter of fours?
2: It's a matter of fours. I mean, do you, do you want your power for, you know, the, the question of fours is, do you want your power for four hours, four days, or forever? <laughs> <laughs> and it's a great saying.
1: And that's what the public needs to understand because that's the decisions being made for them right now is that the decision being made is you're going to get it for four hours. You know, there's going to be many times where you're going to be out
0: of energy at your house. That's the precipice that we're headed for. How is this acceptable? Uh, why, why are we okay with this? Oh,
2: I, I think we're. I, I don't think we are okay with this. And I think, again... Uh, we, we've 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 uh, touched on this notion a couple of times that power is something that's taken for granted. People don't think about it, and when Jack and Jill are sitting at the dinner table talking about electricity and the utility bill and power outages, the industry is failing. And the fact of the matter is, the the industry is failing because we are regulating solutions that are are not uh, are are not backed in technology, are not backed with capability. And while the intent is good, I'm not I'm not arguing with the intent here. We just don't have the capabilities and the technologies yet to backstop and realize um, the regulatory vision that's been, that's been put in place and we're not being negative here we're, we're constantly looking for solutions and looking for ways to do that but uh, people are learning more and more about public safety power shutoffs and, and shortages and there's confusion in, in in the marketplace right now at the consumer level with regards to the difference between a public safety power shutoff and just a, a brownout or a blackout because there's just not enough capability there. And I think uh, we're going to learn a lot more about both this summer. If it is a hot summer, um, you know, we are, we are going to see some uh, electricity challenges. And uh, there's no reason to believe, looking at the trending for the last five to ten years, that's not going to be a hot summer. Uh, hydro capacity is going to be challenged. There's, there's not going to be as much hydro we've seen recently in the news where dams that have never been sh- uh, hydroelectric facilities uh, like in Orville that have never been shut down are now shut down because there's just not enough water to run through them so we're going to be short on hydro and we're going to have limited limited uh, options in, in front of us as we go into as we go into uh, you know the summer season here and this is becoming a recurring uh, issue there was an issue last summer there's an issue this summer I think we'll see an issue next summer. Uh, again, because of our inability to plan and our, our failure to look at the long term and, and put solutions in place that are going to carry us through multiple years. And,
1: and to answer your question, Nate, it's almost like it, it's very difficult these days to engage in these kind of positive arguments about, you know, where, where are we going as a nation? What do we want to do as a nation? How do we get there? What's the time frame? How do we plan for it? so just folks are very hesitant to engage in that conversation because they really take a beating when they do Um, and so i think overall when i look out there and i i'm a member i'm a board member of nwppa Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those conversations people are concerned to have them in any kind of public forum and it's almost like they're waiting for enough i I think a lot of people thought california would be the driver for that because they started a little bit earlier than everybody and they're hitting all these problems but instead of them solving them right now it's like there's no accountability for the problems that are going out there right now how they're hurting businesses with these you know brownouts and blackouts and everything else and so everybody saw that too that there's no accountability and which is delaying this even further i think folks in the industry are waiting till we go off the edge because they can't get the public's attention or the, the supportive political discussion that needs to take place until we go off the cliff. So I think that's the, the concern that I have. One of, the things, one of the main things keeps me up at night is we're headed for that cliff with back to the, you know, we're taking off for Jupiter, but there's no plan, and there's the cliff, and the Jupiter flight's gonna go crashing down into a
0: hole. What does the other side of that cliff look like? like is, are there degrees of off the cliff or is I, it... I I think it's what
1: we discussed which is it's going to be pricing. I mean, the only way to solve it and I think that's one of the worst things I feel for people because let's just take a just an example of that, right? So there's a limited there's a limited supply but a huge demand. The, I think people are going to be very afraid. You're not going to want to go cut off, say, I'm going to make you intermittent, but you not, right? Even though I've got the 80-year-old couple that's freezing in their house and I've got a business charging their electric cars, it's very difficult, especially if you're regulated. We're, you know, We're only regulated by our board, these smaller co-ops, but look at the ones that are regulated by the state PUC. Very hard to make that discriminatory decision to say, you get your power, but you don't. So the easiest way to do that is with price, right? Right. And so that's my fear, is that we're going to see these huge price spikes that are going to be artificial because instead of me saying, well, I've got this much supply and I'm just going to give out this much supply, I'll just have to raise the price until the, the demand equals the supply. So it's artificial. Now, granted for me, that money goes back to my customers, but in the big picture of things out there, imagine how that's going to work for you and me trying to live our lives and charge our electric car. You wake up in the morning and you got to charge your electric car that night and you find, wow, supply and demand, it's quadrupled for charging my car. You know, I mean, maybe I should go I'll take a vacation day and not go to work. I mean, that's, and that's an example, but people need to start thinking about the big picture of this, you know, and where we're headed, what are we going to do, how can we start having a constructive argument with each other to come up with how we're going to deal with all this, what's the plan?
0: I'm worried we're going to end up having people uh, not survive. I mean, I know the just the heat wave we had recently. We had uh, a number of people not survive that heat wave because they didn't have access to air conditioning. Are we are we looking at at that getting just dramatically worse? I, I well, there, there's a lot of there, there's there's a lot of
2: challenges in that with regards to you know air conditioning those types of things. I think the utilities uh, throughout the West are doing a lot of things with. Uh, Regional uh, distribution center regional microgrids, where the, you know They're setting up emergency centers where if the elderly or something like that are caught without air conditioning There's going to be places for them to go But I think you know a bigger issue macroscopically going back to this discussion here is you're gonna have a further uh, divide between the haves and the have-nots because as the uh, economics favor um, You know self-generation and leaving the grid we're seeing it in California already where you know these large Homes, Unfortunately, we saw a lot of those uh, last night on the news on fire, but, you know, in Southern California with these large, you know, uh, McMansions, these six, seven, eight thousand square foot homes. uh, People are going to put their own systems in. They're going to totally detach from the grid. Hmm. They're going to totally detach from the grid. So going back to a conversation that Brian had, they're going to pay their $20,000 to put the wires in their driveway, and then they're going to cut the cord. So the other $100,000 that needs to get paid for on the distribution and transmission system, they're going to have no part of that. And you're going to have fewer and fewer people with less and less ability to pay putting in position where they're going to have to figure out a way to pay to, to fund that infrastructure because um, the wealthier aspect of society is just going to disconnect and take matters into their own hands. C- creating carbon emissions that, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have, mm. right? So we're, we're seeing that. I, I, I know people who have done solar storage and are putting propane generators in at their properties, and totally, uh, totally disengaging from the grid because the the economics work.
0: Well, that's alarming. <laughs> I mean, uh, that that sounds like uh, that sounds like a hole that'd be very, very difficult to dig our way out of, especially if we're looking at uh, supply chain issues for the the tools that'd be necessary. Um, and what what's, what's going on with California? Greg? Is in
1: California trying to mitigate generator sales in one way or the other?
2: Oh, uh, beyond mitigate. I mean, they're 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 uh, making them illegal. I mean, backup generators are going to be very difficult to buy after uh, 2024 in California.
0: What what's that you were saying, Greg? About uh, the camping size of generators? Uh, yeah, little RV
2: generators after 2024, you can't little, buy them in California. So
0: little Honda. Californians
2: will go to. Years. They're not going to do without. They're going to go to Nevada or <laughs> Oregon or Arizona to buy them. I mean, people aren't, aren't going to do without these things. It'll be back to a price issue, right? So. the
1: the little Honda EU two thousand that used to cost six hundred bucks. Yeah. Buy, they're thirteen hundred dollars now. Right, I was looking at right,
2: one the other night. Right. Uh, the, the Honda EU. because the smartest thing you can do in, in California right now, if you're really concerned about the outages, is buy a little, you know, EU two thousand or something like that. Because what is what what is job number one to power in, in an outage? Your refrigerator or a medical device. Right. And those little generators can do that. I mean, you know, from, from, from the residential perspective, I'm not looking to keep my lights on to keep my home entertainment system going in a power outage. I'm looking to keep my refrigerator running. Right, and
1: because I have natural gas heat, I can use a little EU-2000 to run my heat for my house. Right, and my
2: refrigerator at the same time. Yeah. And have hot water. Yeah, that's another thing too. I mean, you know, listening to the the radio in the morning, some of the utilities like uh, in the middle part of the state, uh, like like SMUD, for example, is offering huge rebates to switch from a gas hot water heater to an electric hot water heater. And when the utility's offering you $2,000 to go from gas to electric because they want to sell you a bunch of electric, <laughs> I, I think connecting those dots is, is, isn't all that difficult, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, heat, home home heating, it's, it's well, you know, you guys have the, have the winter peak here, but it's a lot more efficient and a lot cheaper to heat a home with gas than it is electric, Right. you know? I saw something I haven't seen in a long time. We were, we were driving. We're we're sitting here in uh, in, uh, in the Tacoma area, of Washington, right now, and uh, driving in last night. I saw this huge heated storage facility. You know, we don't we don't see that in California. We see you know yeah. cooled storage yeah. facility. But you know, it just shows you the difference in peak. But uh, I think if that heated storage facility converted from gas to electric, uh, the price of storing goods there would go up considerably. Because you have to convert that gas to electric, or you got to get the electric from somewhere. So uh, again, it's 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 the mission to Jupiter and and the uh, and the lack of planning. And you know, speaking of you know capacity, um, two questions for you as a as a board member of a uh, of an organization as broad as NWPPA with all the uh, diverse memberships and generations stuff. Um, <clears throat> do you think? Uh, societally, we're going to have to go back and build some gas resources, do you think that's going to happen? Well, that's a great, great question. And
1: I think right now, there's been, and and you've even been to some of the meetings, the discussion about what should that generation be is still pretty active, at least inside the electric energy sector at these meetings. And so, again, just huge push against carbon resources. And again, that that decision seems to be being made. So what are our alternatives? And it's fascinating to watch the discussion has been, you know, we, we went through a long period of time where nuclear was so frowned upon. And I think we're reiterating an era where even some of the folks that are very concerned about the environment are looking at the big picture issues. Look at how damaging to the environment, you know, solar panels are. Um, wind turbine disposing of wind turbine blades. Where are those going to go? Right. Right. The plan is to send them overseas, so we don't see them, and have China have a big mess of waste. You know, on turbine blades. Same thing with solar panels. Look at how many birds are being killed every. Look at the hoary bat is almost being driven into extinction by wind turbines. So there does seem to be, and 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 I really commend them because a lot of the folks on the far side of not wanting any of this generation, they're looking at that and seeing what the environmental impacts are from wind and solar and mining for battery equipment. And so there's a lot of rethink about nuclear. And I also applaud, look, Bill Gates is a big investor in that new nuclear technology. They're trying to solve that, right? That new nuclear technology is fascinating. If anybody ever wants to go look at that online, it's those those balls that are almost like pool balls. And the reaction is something you have to keep going. It's not a reaction that's trying to run away. And so um, to answer your question, I, I think that nuclear, if you want to solve the carbon issue, you know, solve the spaceship to Jupiter issue, we need to build a lot of those modular. It's going to be a modular system, so it's a certain size you build. It's on a smaller scale. I think the ones they're looking at right now in Idaho and eastern Washington are around the order of 264 megawatts, but don't. Don't, I, what, I, what
0: would I somebody don't know. type in if they if they wanted to learn more about this nuclear system? Uh, what would be a good search term? For I think them? just, you know, nuclear plant technology, you know, and I think you'll find that new technology
1: will pop up right away. I can give you a link you know that you can put on the website. For oh, that, great. That. It's, there's a great link that explains the technology and how it how it works. And, uh,
2: there's, and a co- there's a company based right in Portland uh, called New Scale. Hmm. And there's a company based in uh, Alameda, California called uh, Kairos Energy. Kairos is working with uh, TVA right now on a uh, modularized design. But, you know, these new designs, uh, whether they be 100 megawatts or 200 megawatts or 264 megawatts, whatever the size, uh, what's really interesting about them is we have this paradigm societally that a nuclear plant is hundreds of acres with these huge cooling towers, and they have like to be located, the yeah. yeah they have to be located on the coast, and they take you know billions of gallons of water a year. And the new paradigm for nuclear right now is a five-acre site, air cooled. There's no water usage, right? And it's a very small site. It's a it's a five-acre site. And, so. and, and in fact, they're trying to right now. Those
1: two projects that they're trying to permit are located, I think, on old coal plant projects. Hmm. So they've already got transmission, and they've got the water, and they've got a location where you know you could potentially put a a plant that people might not want right next to them, but it's a good location for that. So I really commend that activity. But we need a whole lot more. Again, it's back to the thing. You yeah. know, that's the tip of the iceberg. We need so many of those plants; it's mind-boggling. So you're you're talking about and, and just one more thing on that. The density is really like Greg said. It doesn't take much acreage also to have this plant. Plus, look at all the good jobs. A lot of you know people don't talk about it, but look at solar and wind. A lot of the real jobs surrounding solar and wind are very low-paying jobs. You, you build a nuclear plant, it's actually, the dollar per cost of kilowatt coming out of it is way less than solar, way less than wind, but you've got all these really good family wage jobs that we have here in the United States for not only operating the plant, but for constructing the plant, for building the equipment, for maintaining the equipment. What, you know, that's, we need to think about those things. Again, if we have the holistic approach, you talked about, Nate, a little while you know earlier, yeah. that should be part of that whole conversation. What, what, are, what impact are we having on the environment overall when, we, when we, we're going to Jupiter? How are we going to make that work? How do we create family wage jobs for people? How do we train people to get into the industry and give them a life family wage job that they can have uh, for a lifetime?
0: You were talking about um, Diablo Canyon and how that got paired with a uh, hydro storage. So Elms. It, yeah. Elms, thank you. So if we're talking about these um, much smaller modular uh, nuclear power generation facilities, is there thought into pairing those with uh, with an energy storage that would that would match up appropriately? I've really tried to,
1: and I'm, I'm no expert in i listened to a couple of presentations and read a few detailed papers online and some of their support documentation. So I'm not sure how able these plants are to run up and down and load, right, to support what we talk about is you know load balancing because in the end we don't have an, the storage we have is tiny even forget battery storage even like Greg said pumped hydro storage we don't have a lot of storage out there so our whole electris- electrical system is based on running plants up and down when you throw on your light switch or turn it off mm-hmm. and so we haven't really varied from that yet and so we need that in the system and, and it's a great question you ask I don't
2: know the answer to that. So I would think that rather than having a helms as a sink or as a big load in, in the off hours, that would be when the, the EVs will be being charged. You know, so it'll be it'll be distributed, right? It'll be a distributed load, but the EVs in those garages being charged will be be charged at night. Yeah, and, um, and right, and being constructive because I don't
1: like a car. That's an area where I don't run the car down every day, right? Right, and so. I could give the utility the control. I plug it in at 7, I come home with, you know, whatever, 637, I plug it in and I can let the utility determine when they're gonna charge it that night based on that very question. So the technology could, yep. in a positive way, eventually lead us there. But again, look at all the complexity behind supporting that and the cost of that technology, I'm saying, versus where we are today, where I can, I can go do my laundry anytime I damn want. If I can't sleep, tonight I'm up at 1 o'clock doing the laundry, there's no big deal with that. Um, I have a meeting and I go, oh, man, I want that pair of pants, <laughs> right? You know, I can go throw them in the washer and go do it. Um, I, 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 I still am struggling with how, or I have a business, and I can be totally variable with my business and say, man, I, I burped through a lot of ice cream on 4th of July weekend, I got to make a lot more. If I'm making all those decisions in our lives based on the price of electricity and the availability, is that what we really want? I mean, I, I, I challenge your listeners to this. Is that what we all want? I, I just have a hard time believing that's what we all want. I, I think we'll all miss the days where we could, and there was nothing wrong with it. I mean, were we wasteful? No, the truth of it is we were balancing usage with load at that very moment in time. So we didn't have all the losses that are in the battery. Let's face it, you charge up a battery and then you discharge it and you have to move those electrons to wherever they came from to charge it and go
2: to supply the load. How is that efficient? Yeah, battery, batteries are being viewed by regulators as, as uh, capacity, as generation, where, in, in my mind, uh, they're, they're, they're net load. Yeah. They're net load. They're, they lose It's energy. an arbitrage load. Yeah, it's a way to arbitrage load. my TOU, yeah, time you're, of use. You're, moving, you're right? moving that generation, but there's a cost in, in, the, yeah. in the losses, even though they are quite efficient. You know, The other piece of this is, as we have shut down many coal plants, as we're going to shut down gas plants... Um, not only were these plants a source of generation, electric generation, for many of these communities, they were the source of economic generation. They were the jobs. They were the taxes. You know, they were. Oh, they yeah. were all of that. Mm-hmm, and uh, these, these modular nuclear technologies uh, provide an opportunity for these communities to gain those economic engines back by producing power where the infrastructure is already in place for. For it to be produced so we can utilize existing infrastructure at these plants, especially transmission infrastructure, I, as opposed I, to having built new infrastructure.
1: Well, I really want to support Greg on that, and that was our experience as developers when Greg and I were developing a lot of projects. That property tax basis is huge, because look at these communities. Forget electrical for a minute. I can't tell you, and I've worked in the public sector, I said about half of my career on and off. Look at the struggles going out there right now with the water pipes, with the sewer pipes, Where do those dollars come from to fix it? So like, you know, we can get, I think there's nothing wrong with using it as an example. Greg and I developed a power plant site that was going to put $10 million a year into a small local community. Um, Then they were going to use it for expansion and infrastructure. But again, when you take all of this away, um, boy, it hurts these little communities that are out there. They're struggling. And how are we going to pay for that infrastructure? So we're talking about the spaceship to Jupiter, but there's the spaceship to Pluto right? I, I mean, we're, we're talking about electrical infrastructure, but look at water and sewer. You know, water consumption, you get more and more people moving out here. It keeps going up. Um, but, and these, these lines are 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. We eventually we've tried lining them, I can tell you, from working in the public sector. A lot of that stuff is effective for a time period, but sooner or later you got to rip stuff out of the ground and replace it. You got to replace the sewage treatment plant. Yeah. Well, where do those dollars come from? And again, it's resources of people
0: and money for our society, and how we're going to do that. So you're really talking about quality of life uh, for citizens. It's it's this has gotten much broader than uh, than say simply electricity. It's. Well, I, I think it goes back to a
2: topic that we introduced in our first or second uh, podcast, Nate. It is the uh, do you believe uh, in? In I believe is a in beliefs, the natural law is that the. Affluence of a society since the beginning of time is directly proportional to the amount of energy it consumes, and never. I'm not advocating. I've never advocated the wasteful consumption or usage of energy. But the fact of the matter is, is that the more energy a society uses, the more affluent that society is. And you know, part of this, uh, what we're trying to avoid here, what we've been dancing around, is in the absence of planning, in the absence of. Uh, putting infrastructure in place in the absence of being able to fund that infrastructure, you have energy poverty, which is not isolated upon an individual or a specific class, but it, will, uh, it, it really transcends through all aspects of society if there isn't enough energy there to support the very engine of society.
1: Well, and Greg, hit on It's another good topic. We, we, we were going to talk about in a minute and we swirled past it, but let's take some of those examples. Look at Eastern Washington, right? So a lot of agriculture out there. Okay. Where's the water come from? It's all pumped. It's pumped everywhere to support agriculture. Imagine you increase the electricity cost by four times or you start doing forcing them into time of use. Because <laughs> you got a crop. You can't stop watering it for a day or a day and a half or two days. And so imagine what that will do to the price of food for people and all these foodstuffs. And and so and and their marginal price meaning that the, the portion of their overall cost structure Look how much of it is will be is now electric for pumping all that water and moving water around. Imagine where it will go to under this situation and how does that impact the pricing structure for all of us as the buyers of that produce and fruit and everything?
0: So are are we are looking smart. at are we looking at a hard ten years then? If if we're at the cliff right now and we say, Okay, we need to we need to onboard plants and we make that decision today, are we looking at a hard decade of more expensive food, less reliable electricity, uh, folks opting out of the grid entirely? I think when you, I, I, I'll answer that
1: in saying, when you don't have the constructive discussion, don't have a plan, you don't know the answer to that. I get, it, it, it relates to me as odd people call developers call me up and say, well, I wanna know how much it costs and when I can have it happen. And my answer I was, well, what's the scope? <laughs> what, what are we gonna, you know, what do we want on the other side? Let's start to engineer it. Figure out when we can get the parts, when we can build it. And, and so I'm back to answering your question by saying we're not having any of that thoughtfulness or constructive discussion. So we can't even begin to say when or what is going to happen, how and when. All we know is that nothing is happening. There's a, How many new plants? How many new large scale utility plants are being built? Yeah, it's literally almost zero, right? They're trying to permit those two new plants. And who knows how that will go? It's gonna be fascinating to watch because in the end, there's still communities close by. There's still a lot of negative feeling about nuclear in general for folks, and what just like for you personally, somebody showed up and said, "Well, we're only ten miles away, but we're building a brand new new plant, ten miles from your kid's school. Are you gonna be okay with that?" You know, I mean, some people would say yes, but some people would say no. And we don't know the answer to that yet. Even if they can be successful with those plants, and then further, imagine even if they are successful, and then imagine something goes wrong. Something somebody can't even envision. They're shipping those those cue balls, you know, and there's a wreck, and all that stuff winds up all over somewhere in a river, a creek, somewhere,
2: and that would change that whole dynamic. So yeah, you know. You know I, I it's think not good flying why. I think all three of us around this table are wired to be optimistic. I think we're inherently optimists and we're problem solvers and we look for solutions. But, you know, some of the challenges to put, put a little bit of pragmatism into the discussion here is uh, looking forward the next 10 years, uh, we're going to see tremendous innovation and stuff like that. But we're, if, we're, if we're planning a future or trying to address the next 10 years, uh, you know, inflation is out of control right now. Uh, is it 8%, is it 11%, is it 15% and, and how does that come down and at the same time, so you have supply chain issues, you have inflationary pressures and the days of cheap money are over. Money is going to get more and more expensive, the cost of capital is going to become more and more expensive. So the challenges are just, are, are just daunting and I think it's really a call to action now to put some uh, safeguards in place. Uh, with regards to societal infrastructure not only in the energy sector but you know in the water sectors and others uh, we should be planning these projects now and and, and funding them now it's 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 not going to get any easier
1: yeah and I think Greg will tell you trying to develop a project too certainty is your friend and uncertainty is your absolute enemy right Greg oh, yeah. and so you're trying to say you're trying to build a billion dollar project well that takes 10 of the largest lenders in the world to each Bar- loan you a hundred million dollars for that project. Now, that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about in these projects, a billion, $2 billion for one of these projects. You know, how do you, there's, there's no certainty in the marketplace. How do I know even right now that I could build that? Where can I go get a contract right now for that? Right? Say, say tomorrow, you and I even had that nuclear power plant. Some, some folks would give you a contract, but then you've got to look at the credit behind that party. On and on and on. It's just a huge challenge to develop stuff. And then we're just talking about the plant. How do we get the power to where it needs to go? I can't tell you, a lot of utilities out there have really, a lot of the smaller entities, even mid-sized ones, they got into wind at once, as a good example. A lot of them got into wind and they wound up realizing they didn't have the transmission to where it needed to go. You know, remember when some of the changes happened with some of the transmission lines, I wouldn't even say where, um, folks made big investments into a wind farm, found out that they couldn't really move it to where they needed to. That transmission went away, they couldn't move it to where they needed to move it, and now they're paying a huge premium. So it's back to, I'm a little utility, I've got to be very careful with my customers' dollars. Am I going to go out and take a risk in a marketplace where I get supply chain issues, delivery, cost? We don't even know you know, whether we're really going forward with a trip to Jupiter or not. Am I going to go buy my my... My astronaut suit right now for the flight to Jupiter. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I'm going to wait to see, you know, if you start buying engines and building the rocket ship before I go buy my suit. And,
2: you know? and to the and to the notion that you know certainty reduces cost. Uh, a lot of what's been done regulatorily and legislatively um, uh, increases uncertainty. It doesn't create certainty. It just creates more and more uncertainty. You may, may not be aware of this, Brian, but, you know, we, we used to permit a lot of plants through the California Energy Commission. And a uh, very, very difficult process, uh, one of the most difficult <laughs> in the country. But uh, the saving grace of the process is once you had that CEC license, um, it, was, it was bulletproof. The only place you could challenge that license was with the California Supreme Court. And the California Supreme Court was known, known to have never really overturned a CEC license. Well, that's all been changed the recent regulations of California yeah. now now people can bring a sequel challenge at the local level you can challenge a CEC license at the county level there yeah. there's just no certainty anymore so to go through and, and put forth those millions and millions of dollars to obtain a license that can be uh, basically ripped from you at the county level uh, by uh, you know appointed judges is just a uh, and then the first point, Real so scary. you and I, just as an example,
1: you and I have this company, right? And right. we're trying to develop this billion dollar power plant. Well, to get it to a point where we can finance it, right? To get folks to really give us money, we probably got to spend between 50 and hundred million dollars to get there. That's all at risk, yeah. like Greg said. So who's going to give you the 50 or hundred million, totally at risk. And there's all these issues that can absolutely wipe out your project from not being able to get the long-term contract with a credit-worthy counterparty. And like Greg said, you get your permit, but it gets challenged. And so you're $100 million into this thing and you get the rug pulled out from you. Um, these are, that's, so I'm trying to fully answer your question. You're saying, why isn't anybody stepping up to the plate there? And then plus, like in Washington State alone, again, we talked about there's no, there's no regional transmission authority. Or organization, there's no There's no process that would say we absolutely need, you know, 500 megawatts here, right, mm-hmm. in the transmission grid. That doesn't exist, and so
2: um, that's all these factors combined are why nothing's happening. And even if we had a momentary uh, lapse. Of, of craziness. If, if, if everybody got around the table for a second and said, you know what, yeah, you know what, all right, we, we, we need a 500 megawatt gas plant here. Sure. And even if everybody got on the same page, um, getting the money to do it would be a challenge with all of the ESG overlays of these funds right now. Uh, that would be a huge challenge as well. Can, can you explain what an ESG overlay is? Uh, uh, environmental, social, and uh, governance. So um, if a lot of uh, investors are, are, are overlaying uh, investments with uh, ESG ratings with regards to how, how do you rate in, in the environment, so if it's carbon producing, you get a very, very low ESG score, uh, which you know, a lot of funds are, are shying away from those types of investments. And this goes back to a notion we had earlier of a holistic uh, evaluation of an environmental footprint. Um, I think a, a true holistic evaluation of various technologies would change uh, the profile of uh, the ESG aspect of many of these investments.
0: So, so a question I ask every now and again is, uh, what's a guy to do? We're looking at a situation where the, the grid is inches away from the cliff, where solutions to, to implement, um, even if agreed upon, will take years and are, are subject to a litany of risks Um, Any one of which could completely derail the project. So coming back to my imaginary ice cream shop, uh, what am I to do? Sometime in the next three or four years, buy a generator.
1: Yeah, buy a (laughs) generator. I I think, unfortunately, I I know that's a sarcastic answer. but I don't think it is. I I don't have a good answer for you. I think it's going to, again, somehow we've got to kick off being able to even talk to each other. About these topics in a rational way,
0: and that seems to be our greatest challenge. Maybe you could issue that invitation. Um, what what kind of a person or organization would you like to talk to, and, and how would you like them to talk to you? I don't. Know, I think the the topic needs to get. We
1: don't have the public support, and I think we could talk all day long in the energy sector. But I think all these hurdles that are coming at us from different directions, whether it's being able to get the money, or the regulatory environment, or the challenges to these projects, or not having a regulatory body that's in charge of that—I think until we have a constructive discussion about all this, I think it just goes nowhere. So I, I, I would just encourage everybody. Look, this is an, the cool thing about this is this is it's an eight to eighty issue. It's all of us. It doesn't care what color we are, or what religion we like, or or what how we vote, or whether we like the water or like the desert. This is an issue for everybody. You know, where are we going with this? What do we want to do? What do we want our country to look like on an energy basis? How do we want to run this? We, You know, I would really encourage our electeds to sponsor a better conversation about this on, on all sides of the aisle, whether you're socialist or conservative or or, or liberal, Republican, Democrat, on and on and on, I'd encourage everybody to figure out a way to have that constructive discussion because this is a big issue for this country. We got a lot of issues, we got healthcare issues, we got
2: inflation, economic issues, but this is a big one for all of us. It is, and uh, you can see uh, how it's affecting Europe right now Yeah, and what's going on in Europe. And, uh, you know, fortunately, Uh, We have the luxury of being blessed with a lot of resources in this country. Whether it be solar in the desert southwest, whether it be wind in the middle of the country, whether it be oil and gas in in Texas, whether it be coal in West Virginia and Pennsylvania, we have a tremendous amount of energy resources. And that's a
1: great, a good point. But thanks for reminding me about that. I think I would encourage listeners, too, to... Look at the difference between Germany and France, right, Greg? I mean, you got France that kind of kept on the track of all their nuclear plants. They were, you know, a period there where it looked like they were going to get rid of all of them, but they kept them, basically, and so they've had a very stable energy sector for them with rational costs, you know, same thing, reliability, all those things, versus look at Germany that went the way of California, effectively. And we, we need to be, you know, again, we're not pointing fingers at folks. We need to just have that discussion. We're following Germany. Let's look at Germany and see how, what problems they have. Do we really want to do that? Where you know is that the way we want to head? So again, encourage your listeners to get active and be informed, and you know, do what they can to help us. And and eventually we'll go off this cliff, and then there'll be a reason for all of us to have that conversation.
0: So I think the the thing to do right now for uh, the folks listening, if, if I can just kind of rephrase what I heard from you, is ask the officials. What are you doing about energy? What's the plan? What's the plan? What's the detailed plan? Yeah. You're
1: telling me to buy two electric cars. What's the plan? How about, how's my electric price gonna remain low? How do they get it to my house? How's that, who's paying for it? You know, what, you know, what, how, where are all these dollars gonna go? We're, we're fighting healthcare issues in the country. You're fighting all these other issues. Where are those dollars gonna come from?
2: Okay. Well, Greg, anything you wanna, you wanna say to our listeners? Uh, no, I, I think this has been a really, uh, you know, a very stimulating conversation. I hope it's uh, thought-provoking. I, I really want to thank Brian Bertacci for spending the time he spent with us. Uh, you know, this is a very interesting perspective uh, for people from, you know, the guy who's responsible for making it all happen. Um, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of times we look at utilities like PG&E, and, you know, they're responsible to their, uh, to their shareholders. You know, well, Brian's responsible to his next-door neighbor, Mm-hmm. you know and it's a very very different perspective at, at the municipal level and you know it, it's a constant argument uh, with regards to whether or not there should be the profit motive um in, in at the at the uh, load serving entity level for a commodity that is just you know the very heart and soul and 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 and, and you know the the, the, uh, the the backbone of society, electricity. Every, everything starts with electricity. We don't have water with electricity because you can't move water without electricity. So, for such a, a fundamentally, uh, you know, uh, necessary uh, commodity, um, to look at it from the municipal perspective, where they're just trying to supply the service and at, as as efficiently and as low cost as possible without having to provide a return to shareholders. Uh, really interesting to see, uh, you know, what those concerns are. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time with us, Brian, to uh, enlighten our listeners uh, with, uh, you know, with a real, uh, you know, uh, heart and soul, you know, a ground level approach of of what's keeping you awake at night and the challenges that you're seeing at the municipal level. So thank you.
0: Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Nate. Yeah, Brian, uh, thank you very much. Again, it's uh, you're not a Peterson employee, uh, not a Peterson customer. You're just a concerned person who took time to, to discuss the issues and I appreciate that. To the listeners, I want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for making it this far. Uh, We talked a lot about the need to have honest conversations, and this is a very small conversation we're having here. We invite you to join. If you're listening on petersonpower.com, there's going to be a button to contact Greg and I. It sends us an email directly. Uh, If you're listening on YouTube, you can put something into the comments. Uh, We'll be sure to listen to those. We've done episodes based on feedback from listeners. So put your put your comments there and we will we will take it seriously thank you all